welcome to my series of conversations with stalwarts of music today's episode is being partnered with perpetual buzz experiences it's an artist representation company with three very basic but lofty goals they are the launchpad for indie musicians they help them leverage their success to produce some of the most memorable musical experiences and they also help generate funding for social causes and make sure that musicians have a good time in the process be sure to check them out on www.perpetualbus.com we have yet another podcast partner for today which is wire up music store which is a music retail store selling state of art equipment ranging from guitars to ukulele to percussive instruments and classical instruments do check out their instagram page which goes by the handle at the rate wireup.india and if you're in bangalore hop into their outlet in koramangala my guest today is a two time grammy award winning bassist who has been touring and recording for more than 3 decades his first step into the national spotlight came in 1991 when he became the founding member of the aquarium rescue unit that led to his membership on the classic rock group the allman brothers quite a legendary group of all time over the years otil has shared the stage with musicians like carlos santana buddy guy taj mahal uh, billy gibbons john mayer to name a few he received a lifetime achievement award for his 15 year musical stint with the allman brothers band without any further ado i'm delighted to welcome my guest for today otil forbridge hey there how are you good how are you doing very well very well which part of the world are you in right now <clears throat> i'm in california right now and oh wonderful uh not far from san francisco i i believe you're you're doing the uh, you're, you're on a tour right now yeah we just had opening night uh-huh. of the tour uh last night in uh, los angeles at dodger stadium oh lovely how did that go it went really well really uh-huh. really well Great. Uh, so let's get started uh, with our agenda for today. I have a couple of interesting questions uh, for you. Sure, sure. It's uh thank you for having me. Likewise, really likewise. It's an absolute it. pleasure. Uh I'd say it's it's more of a privilege to be uh, having you as part of this entire series. I've been oh, really man. been talking to AJ for quite some time now to sort of have you on board. But uh we finally made it happen and I'm so glad. Yeah. A privilege is all mine, man. Uh, great. So, so can you try and explain uh, to our audience what what does music do for you? What does music exactly mm. give you? Music is your life in so many different levels and dimensions, and in many ways, in more pure terms than it's for most people, you're recognized, celebrated, applauded as a musician who's still up, upholding the purest. values of its tradition what does music gift you and I, i know it's a, it's it's a pretty difficult question to sort of uh, <laughs> answer but could you try to verbalize this in the best possible way yeah uh wow that's such a big question mm-hmm. you know um music is goes uh precedes my earliest memories because my mom when she was pregnant with us You know, this is 1964. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, wow. So uh, she used to put headphones on her stomach when she was pregnant with us and play whatever they were listening to, which, you know, my dad's only religion was music and probably primarily jazz. And, uh, but he had a wide ranging collection and she played all that stuff. So, you know, before I even had actual ears, <laughs> you know, I could, it's given me everything, you know, <laughs> uh, it has coincided with, you know, the actual act of me coming to life. And, uh, and so that was a great gift. I could say even that my parents gave me that music also gave me, you know, by giving me the gift of music. And then I started playing when I was five. It's, it's been with me since the beginning. I started playing drums. I'm really a drummer. I was originally a drummer. And um, I didn't pick up the bass guitar till I was uh, 14 years old and got serious about it at probably 17. And, um, but, you know, it's always been a source of pleasure because when my dad would play records, I mean, he was very reverent, uh, towards, uh, music and musicians specifically and composers. So it's not like nowadays where kids, you know, ask Alexa or whatever to play a song and. You know, if I put on my song, they don't want to hear it. They're like, cut that off. I could never imagine saying that to my father, you know. And I heard a lot of really good music because of that. And that was a great gift also because he was into such great music that it put me ahead of the game. I took it for granted. That was just what it sounded like growing up in my house. I mean, he played classical Indian music and all kinds, not just jazz, you know. Um, and then, you know, because I started playing early, five on drums, we all played violin, we all played piano. Uh, my brother obviously played flute also. Um, <clears throat> it gives you uh, a hobby, that's, you know, which you, you do just for fun, which I still do primarily do it for fun, even though I also do it for a career. Um, it also gave me a, a um, reason to be disciplined, <laughs> which I always found reasons to not be. <laughs> and, uh, but it was fun and it was compelling and seeing these musicians that were playing at such a high level, it, you knew it wasn't easy. Like, you can't listen to Charlie Parker or Zakir Hussein and go, oh, well, I could do that, you know? <laughs> like, you know it's going to take serious to even be able to comprehend what they're doing. It's going to take uh, some serious uh, commitment and discipline and um, commitment, you know? Um, so, and now it's my career, so it's providing... For me and my family, my wife and children, uh, so it's given me everything. <laughs> I, mean, 
I probably should think of like what it hasn't given me. I'd probably be a shorter answer. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you did. Uh, you did grow up in Washington D.C. If I'm not wrong. Yes, that's where I was born. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the city, uh, I- I'm sure it molded the musician you are today. Uh, but I have I have something interesting in terms of uh, cuisine. Uh, what's a more essential dining experience? Uh, would it be uh, right to say that uh, it'd be it'd be the best bet to sort of have have some of the finest dining experiences at a place like Martin's Tavern, or would it be a casual dining uh, experience at uh, Ben's Chili Bowl? Which, which <laughs> one would you pick of the two? I don't know. You know what's funny? <laughs> I probably wouldn't pick either because my. <laughs> Two favorite types of uh, food are Indian food and Thai food. So I would probably be going to get Indian food <laughs> in Washington, D.C. DC or Thai food. Or, but, you know, I, I do like it all. I'm not a chili guy but I'm, so much because it upsets my stomach, not because I don't like it. But as I get older, I have to take some things out. Fortunately, I can still eat Indian food and Thai food. <laughs> But um, yeah, I I bounce around a lot, and DC is a great place to eat. Like, you know, I would say it's apples and oranges. Like, you could pick what you want out of those two. But I would be going to get, you know, <laughs> probably Thai food or Indian food. Uh, you did speak of uh, Indian classic, listening to Indian classical music uh, while growing up, and yes. you have a very special connection with India. Your daughter happens to be from our yes. country. Could you tell us a little bit about your experience uh, being in India? If if you were inspired by musical forms during your time here, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well. Um, I didn't get to see any music <laughs> while I was there. It was a very stressful time uh, going to get Kavi. Uh, so me and my wife were hyper-focused on that and all the legal hoops that you have to jump through. And the poor thing was so scared of us, you know. Oh, she's so brave. And um, so we were just trying to figure out how to not traumatize her. <laughs> And also jump through all these really difficult legal hoops. It took us actually two and a half. It was a two and a half year process. But I've been so inspired by Indian music since I was a young child because my dad uh, always listened to classical Indian music. So um, we heard Ravi Shankar and Alaraka and we heard Zakir Hussain and Ali Akbar Khan, and, you know, we heard now my dear friend uh, Pete Lavazzoli turned me on to Kishore, okay. which I was the only thing that Kavi, <laughs> if I put it on in the car, she doesn't make me turn it off. She said, I hate that. I put it on one morning, and she didn't say anything, and then I looked back in the mirror, and she was looking out the window. I was like, yeah, you know? So, uh, but when we were there, it was amazing for me because it was my first time going there. And it was my wife's first time. And, and we've both traveled a fair amount, but we had never been to India. My brother had been a number of times. And uh, 
Oh, it's just so amazing. I can't wait to go back and to bring Kavi back. And um, the whole culture, you know, obviously we heard music while we were there in the hotels and just around. And uh, what was going? There was like something where they release a lot of balloons or it looked, they look like flags or something. But they the were kites. Are you talking about the kites? Kites. That's yeah. it. Yeah. All these kites. When we were in Lucknow, we were yeah. like, honey, come look. The kites are all over the place. I mean, the whole thing was just amazing. Very inspiring. I have a friend, uh, Shovik Dutta, that uh, he works with John McLaughlin. But he also grew up uh, like in the same neighborhood, I believe, with the Husseins, with Zaki Hussein. And um, so he knows all them. So he's like, you know, when you go back next time and you don't have to jump through all these hoops, let me take you around. I was like, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Triple yes, please. It was a magic time. We were there for about two weeks. And, and uh, I think uh, what, what was starting then? It wasn't Diwali. There was some, there was a big festival started all the women were painting were doing the henna the dashera are you talking about the dashera i can't i thought i recognized the name of it okay uh i'm sorry i've just horribly unprepared when it comes to that but yeah everything it was it was such a great experience you know because all these things were happening and it was really wondrous very inspiring and inspiring to me musically because just to actually be there and really feel, you know, you, it's one thing to listen to records, but it's another thing to be there and feel what, you know, the ground that it comes up out of. It was really, really intense. Speaking of Lucknow, did you, did you try the kebabs there? Lucknow is known for its kebabs. You know, I was being extremely conservative in my eating okay. because normally when I travel anywhere, yeah. um, my stomach gets very upset because yeah. people use different kinds of oil yeah. in their cooking. It's just different. And so I'm always like, <laughs> and then when we went to India, I was like, I started eating my food hotter because I don't, I can't take really hot, hot, but I love flavorful spices and a wide variety of them. So I started eating my food a lot hotter just to prepare myself. And man, when I got there, <laughs> breakfast, I was like, whoa. So I did, I was being very conservative. Next time I go though, I'm just going to go for it because. Yep, yep. Yeah, but I, the food that I had, yeah, everywhere was, we started out in Allahabad, which I think, yeah. did they change the name? Prayagraj? Yeah, yeah, Prayagraj, yeah. Prayagraj, yeah. 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 I think they changed it back or something like that. But we started there and then Lucknow and then, yeah, yeah it was really back to Delhi. It was something. <laughs> Lovely. And Kavi is amazing. Uh, I got to send you some pictures of her. Yeah, yeah, she, for sure. Feel free to. So beautiful, man. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you uh, uh, came down to India and, and it was so thoughtful of you to do something, do something like this, you know, probably 
showing her an all new experience of being with the family and all of that that's 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 a great yeah great oh i wish i i wish i was super rich i would adopt so many more children you know but she really is she's amazing to see my phone made this thing where it's kind of scary that ai did this it was tugging at my heartstrings so easily um but it made a video by itself of from when we went to pick her up in oh, Allahabad till right now. And so I saw I had the music playing and I saw her progression. She was really scared of me. Okay. Like I would just bust out crying if I, if I made eye contact with her. And so to see, you know, going from that to the first time she reaches up and wants me to pick her up and she's a total daddy's girl now. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's really, it's, it's one of the, top three most amazing things of my life for sure lovely lovely is she into music as well are you also introducing her to some modern yes. uh, musical forms well she chooses what she wants which is right. just terrible a lot of the time <laughs> but you know you can't yeah. they get it from school but i do play a lot of stuff and then my friends are musicians so they come by the house and they rehearse and she loves this book my friend uh brad miller a great bass player great bassist uh plays with patrick bartley and all these guys um but he gave her a little children's book called uh charlie parker plays bebop oh wow and so she loves the sound of that word bebop (laughs) (laughs) and so i read her the book and then i play her bebop you know and i play her all kinds of music. She actually tends to play the instruments more than my son. Mm-hmm. She gets on the drum. She might be my little drummer, which I would just <laughs> love. Oh, yeah, well, we're really see. looking forward to see that. <laughs> oh, if what, she's... Are you... what are you guys going to call yourselves? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I'm sure they'll come up with some the perfect name. They're so... Uh... They're so creative, man. But she loves, I got, I'll send you some pictures of her like playing the piano. She gets into it. She's like, <laughs> and uh, she plays my drums a lot. I brought Nigel a little drum kit. It's okay. a pearl. It's oh, a wow. nice drum set. Uh, uh-oh, let me put this do not disturb on. Jeez. Sorry, I forgot to do that. Where is it? Do not disturb. All this stuff's coming through. Um. Yeah, I bought this little drum kit for Nigel, but she gets on it more than him, yeah. you know? I think he doesn't do it because I want him to, so then I just back off. I'm like, all right. <laughs> uh, in one of your interviews, uh, you'd quoted about a uh, human experience that charts the same path as a sine wave, right? Yeah. So speaking of the ups and downs in life, uh, before we come to the... <laughs> Downs, which in some ways, uh, for most of, most of us, is quite tempting to talk about. Uh, what are some of the most gratifying moments of your musical pursuit? Oh, man, when we all come together, you know, there's just some, as you know, from uh, uh, Indian musical tradition, which uh, has this improvisation, when everybody syncs up together, 
And then it just feels like you could kind of take your hands off the wheel. And it's just a magical feeling. Uh, a lot of times for me, it's in a, a certain groove. Like me and my brother, uh, we could just always get into a groove just like that. It was just, if we hadn't played together in forever, it was, it's just like a chemical reaction. And a lot of that is chemistry, which is just a blessing. Uh, you can't practice that in. You can't, like some people just get together and it's more magical than when they get together with other people. And that's just that, you know? So that that's one of my most fulfilling things is just when it all comes together like that. Because this joy comes out of it, you know? And um, and then the uh, the other part is probably the down part, being able to like uh, work through or maybe use painful feelings and emotions to as a kind of fuel to like get it out, and maybe that helps some other people who are going through that pain or, or some other kind of pain, we could kind of connect up in our pain and then uh, lift each other up out of it because you have to feel it. So it's just easier if you go through it together, you know? Um, so that's like, that's probably my, my favorite thing. I'd say a lot recently, like I either want extreme joy out of music or exorcism <laughs> you know like to get the pain and the demons and all dark things just like get it out all right it's in there come on let's let's move it let's move it like clouds like storm clouds move like it can't just sit there in you you know because it'll it could kill you but if you can let it move like storm clouds you know and just pass through it so from what I gauge, uh, you're, you're a very uh, optimistic and you've got a very positive approach towards music. Well, uh, towards that, music, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that being said, I'd like to know uh, a little bit about, you, about your personal uh, uh, discipline also. Are you also uh, a self-motivated person when it comes to other things apart from music? I don't know. I don't feel like I am compared to other people who I see that are very driven. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess that I am about certain things. I guess just, you know, I'm uh, motivated more by inspiration, which tends to wax and wane. Excuse me. You know, it's like they say, oh, you should write some every day or you should. I don't do those kinds of things like. And I'm not against it uh, philosophically. Uh, of course, if you compose something every day, whether it's good, bad, whatever, you're just doing something every day, something, it's going to bear some kind of fruit. But I'm not uh, as disciplined in that way. I'm more motivated by inspiration. And when I get inspired or I find something new or discover something new or just feel, you know, and that kind of waxes and wanes. That's like clouds too. Um, but I also tend to get, uh, I do rabbit hole things. So, but again, that's just, 
I don't know. Is that obsessive? <laughs> Being obsessed? <laughs> just enough. I'm just obsessive enough to where it's not unhealthy, you know, if I turn it towards music. So when I get going, I do kind of go deeper into it. But I feel like, like typically I would write more in the wintertime because when it got cold, I was shut in more. And now that we live in Florida, we don't have any wintertime. So I'm just out on my bike or in the pool all the time. <laughs> but um, I'm doing some writing, you know, just the cycle's different now. So I don't know if I can be objective enough to really answer that question. I don't feel very self-motivated to, compared to people that, some people that I idolize. I'd like to touch upon uh, Dead and Company. Uh, yeah. You play alongside uh, some of the finest uh, musicians as part of this group, which includes John Mayer, Bob. Uh, if I were to take the three of you, for example, uh, three of you have very distinct voices when it comes to your respective instruments. And all three of you have definitely set in a benchmark of being musical heroes for a lot of us. Yeah, in terms of your musicality and the technical virtuosity and all of that that you display. How do you make sure that each individual gets enough spotlight uh, while playing together in terms of an artistic expression point of view? How, how do you guys go about it? Well, I think that in terms, and I've been very lucky in this way, um, with both Dead & Company and the Almond Brothers Band, where that's baked into the cake. That's part of the founding philosophy of the bands is this, you know, all for one and one for all. Like every part of it is just as important. They don't see a hierarchy in these things. Now it happens with people where they're just, that's what people do. People want a king. So, you know, and and natural leaders do tend to just come forward like Jerry Garcia. People would just tend to follow him. I don't think he could really help it, you know. And the same with Dwayne Allman. Like he just was a natural leader. But in their minds, in Dwayne's mind and in Jerry's mind, it was very it was a level playing field in each piece was just as important. There wasn't a hierarchy. And so um, you find, and because it's improvisational music also. So the whole thing is based on each person's uh, uniqueness. And that's the recipe. You know, these, each person is a different spice and that's the recipe and you mix it together and that's this distinct flavor, you know. And um, I'm really lucky to be able to have that, especially as a bassist. For bassists, are, you know, they want you to stay down there you know? <laughs> <laughs> and let us all walk on you, which is great. It's great to be the floor because it's an amazing sense of power to hold everything up, you know, and also be part of the rhythmic engine to drive things with the, with the drummers, you know, um, but also to be able to be free improvisationally, mm -hmm. melodically, 
uh, chordally, harmonically, uh, rhythmically, in, in all these different ways. And to be able to add that in there, I mean, you, you don't want to be just trying to pull all the spotlight to yourself. But, you know, Phil Lesh has a really beautiful thing that the uh, man whose spot I'm sitting in, um, in his band, he doesn't want a soloist. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not taking a solo. He says, when the improvisation comes, we're all improvising. Almost like Dixieland, where everybody's soloing together, but they're all weaving, you know. It's all like counterpoint. Um, so that's how you do it. It's that's the way they it's set up to do it that way. And uh, I'm really super blessed to uh, have fallen into yet another situation like that. Because that's not I don't think that's so common in rock and roll. You know, if that's what we're doing, I guess we are. So we have a lot of fans uh, who have tuned in from India and other parts of the world. Uh, nice. They are interested to know a couple of anecdotes from your touring experience with uh, probably the top two uh, at the top of your head, uh, probably with uh, Dead & Company or Allman Brothers, something that you cherish for the rest of your life, a fond memory of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there's so many, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I guess one of my, uh, a really distinct memory for me um, is the first night playing with the Allman Brothers Band. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in a Great Woods Amphitheater mm-hmm. in Boston. This was June of 1997. Oh, wow. And uh, I was three years old. I, then. <laughs> huh? I was just three years old then. <laughs> yeah, I'm old. I'm getting up there. I was 32 then. Right. And um I had played some of the amphitheaters before with uh the Horde tour with Colonel Bruce Hampton and the Aquarium Rescue Unit. Oh wow. We were we had gone out and done some of those amphitheaters with Fish and Blues Traveler and Widespread Panic and and um Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones. Uh, but, you know, the Allman Brothers started in 1969. So mm-hmm. I was five years old when that band started. So being on stage with them, even though I had played that amphitheater before, it was like, whoa. And we started out um, like their very first album starts with, I uh, don't want you no more cross to beer. So it was, it felt like, <laughs> I don't know. It was, a, it was like time traveling because, you know, I'd, I was really getting into those records and trying to put myself back then in 69, you know, and then we started with that and it was just surreal. Like I, I can remember it very clearly. Uh, it was very surreal. And it, it honestly felt like that right up until the end. Whenever we played that, we'd do Cross to Bear, and I just felt like ghosts were rising up, going, thank you. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, 
you just get some of those moments like that, you know. And then many, many times just on the bus, traveling, laughs that we were having on the bus, you know. Um, with Dead and Company, man, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of moments. Uh, there's certain places that, to me, are kind of magical. And Alpine Valley is one of those. And when we played Alpine Valley, it just had a very mystical feeling. Also, when we played Eugene, Oregon, it's like really, what did we call them? Old growth forest deadheads, the really old deadheads and merry pranksters who still live up there, you know, up in the woods and stuff, farming and stuff, you know. And they came down and you could feel the difference, you know. It just was more sacred, you know. It was heavier and just beautiful, you know. And we've had such funny, funny times. You know, when you're playing this kind of music, <laughs> all kinds of things are going to happen, you know. And it's, it's baked into the cake with all the LSD and everything. So there's no, there's no uh, intent to keep things on the rails. Like you're hoping it just goes whoop and all of a sudden just, you know, takes a left or whatever. And, and it will. It definitely will. It's always a, it's always a joy. I guess uh, I, I love that, you know. I love that about the band. that We could still get that. We had some really good improvisations just last night. Mm-hmm. Like on Uncle John's band. You know, like... Every night is a uh, is an opportunity to really hit some new thing. I mean, it's always right now that's the coolest. Yeah. You did mention the uh, entire experience was uh, similar to that of a mystical. It, you didn't mention the fact. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the mystical, does it also create proclivity of interest uh, on certain other aspects of the mystical for someone like you? Oh yeah, I've oh, but that's I would say that was the, at the same time as music. I've always had dreams where I dream into the, the future mm-hmm. since I was a child. So I've always had a weird <laughs> like something else is going on and my mom was totally comfortable with that. And this very super psychic and super mystical and my dad was the exact opposite. I was like, Dad, you know, you don't believe in anything mystical? He's like, no. I said, well, what about Mom? He goes, well, all I know is people shouldn't mess with your mother. I was like, oh, man, come on. You can't have it both ways, man. Like, he knew. So I've always seen it over and over and over again. Um, And if something continues to happen over and over again, whether I can explain it or not, or prove it or not, or whatever, scientifically, I don't care because it keeps happening, you know? Like, I can't scientifically prove the existence of love. So what am, is love not important to me? Like, love is the most mystical thing of all to me. So I, uh, 
which means hate is also mystical, but that's not the trip I want to go on, you know? But, uh, yeah, I've totally, to me, they're all, like, everything's interconnected. And I think that's why, I suspect that's why a lot of things are so messed up now, is because they're so disconnected. And we're not seeing the connections between everything. And and then be, because of seeing it, allowing them and fostering them and cultivating them, right? I wonder, do we really have a competition for resources or do we have a competition for the control of resources? I, I don't know, but I suspect it's just a competition for the control of it because I have to think with all of our collective mind power, if that was being fostered, if we made education a priority, the poorest kid might turn out to be the smartest one to solve the whole thing. So, yeah, to me, the mystical is everything. Yeah. It's everything. Without it, music is, what is it? What is it? What is it, music without that mysterious thing that affects your heart and your intellect and your spirit and, you know? It can make you smile, you know, or cry. Like, what is that without the mystical? So I don't, to me, it's all, that's the number one, you know, because music is not even number one for me. Like, it's obviously I've dedicated and built my whole life around it. But, like, the most important thing to me is what my wife and kids think of me or, or feel about me. Um, and that's, you know, this is older me now. I'm 57 now, so um, my priorities have changed since I was younger. But um, that's the most important thing to me is love and, and how we can, I really think it would fix things, but we don't allow it to happen. Yeah. You also spoke a little bit about uh, spirituality. Uh, I'm quite intrigued to know more about your series, The Wanderer, uh, which was focused on religious and spiritual musings. I, I read, read about it somewhere. Mm, sounds like I need to pick back up on that. Uh, most people don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> but to me, I, I'm just fascinated with it. Like, I'm fascinated by. Uh, all religions, you know, I had to break through a, in a built-in hostility towards Christianity and Judaism that I got from my parents because they grew up Catholic and rejected it. It was not a good experience for them at that time and place. Um, so. Part of that was like, okay, going 180 degrees on that now, okay, like let's look at it uh, from a different perspective. Like just wipe the slate clean and start over. And then that brought me deeper into other ones. Well, actually, I could say the Book of the Tao, I started reading more of before the Bible. But then, when I really got and uh, started finding theology in the Christian 
and Jewish traditions that did resonate with me. It reconnected me with uh, the Book of the Tao. And then I went to Bhagavad Gita. I've, you know, I've branched out <laughs> into everything because I'd just like to see how people around the world create this thing. You know, I, have you ever heard of Alex and Allison Gray? They're visionary artists. They, they have a place in uh, um, upstate New York. It's a beautiful property. They're, they're visual artists that are just amazing. You've got to check them out. Alex and Allison Gray, G-R-E-Y. Yeah. Were, they, were they part of this reality show, if I'm not wrong? They did a couple of stuff together? I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not yeah. sure because I don't watch much TV. I'm yeah. all on the internet, you know. Yeah. It, it did sound have, quite familiar, yeah. They, they have an amazing painter. It's like the most intense stuff you've yeah. ever seen. And, um, but they have this concept where, to them, art, making art is a form of worship, right? Or prayer, or mm -hmm. however you want to look at it. It's their way of doing religion, yeah. is to make art. And they said this one thing that just hit the nail on the head for me. I saw him on Joe Rogan's podcast. And they said, people, when they look, there's different ways to look at these books that these religions are centered around. He said, we look at them as primarily works of art. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, of course. They're stories, poems, songs. Parables, uh, letters. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, these are all works of art. They're writing art. And so now we could try to go look at it like in a very rigid way. But when you look at it as a work of art, it's like, oh, yeah. Now it's like everything doesn't have to be literally true. You know, it's like it doesn't matter as like, did Adam and Eve happen? What matters is, does Adam and Eve happen? And then when you read these stories and you go, oh, there's me, there's me. Oh, I did that. Oh, yeah, I got me that way. You know, and it's like, so now Star Wars and Harry Potter is just as sacred to me as any Bible of anywhere is like, is it true? It doesn't matter if Harry's, a, if wizards actually exist, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but is it true what they're talking about? And that to me is super compelling. And then when you see how everybody does it all the way around the world, then you find the big truths that we all have in common. And they all come back to this one thing, I think, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, the ego having to be reined in at least, <laughs> you know, at a minimum. Uh, love, compassion, uh, service, you know, sacrifice, uh, you know, acceptance, radical acceptance, hyper-radical acceptance, <laughs> you know. Um, these are the things that I find. That's what keeps me going. And it matters because people are dying every day. You know, the pandemic caused a lot of people to just tap out and commit suicide. The richest, most famous 
most creative, most beautiful. People kill themselves all the time. All the time. So I can't, you can't tell me it's not important. It's important for our very survival and for not to, us just to survive, but also to thrive. You know, I, to me, God is love and love wants us to thrive just like the planet, like this huge garden, just springtime, just ah, an explosion, all these different species of insects and animals and plants and, you know, just that's, that's the point. That's what can happen if we don't thwart it and if we don't like lose touch with our love and compassion and, and reason to sacrifice and the, mystic, the mystical reasons, you know, to me, that's what it's all about. And, and music helps people do that. It helps get them in touch with like that. It's boom. It brings you right to it. That's something I don't know why. <laughs> prove it scientifically, but I know, you know, it's feeding my whole family. Um, so what are some of the spiritual techniques that you embody that has helped you in terms of your music? Because a lot, lot of us want to know what are some of the spiritual techniques that someone could possibly get into, uh, which, which might help them propagate their music in, in some capacity? Well, you know, I mean, I feel like everything in life is spiritual. And it could be good spirits or bad spirits. <laughs> you know? It's like a, a radio dial. It's like what you tune into, you know. So, I mean, it could be as simple as eating more healthy. That's a spiritual thing because now I'm, I'm cultivating a better, a healthier body. I'm loving myself more, you know, by doing that. Um, but also, you know. In improvisational music, you know, you have this trance element where, you know, you get in a groove and <laughs> you get in this trance and that's a spiritual thing. And, and a lot of times I find like when I'm in a groove, like the groove itself will teach me. You know, it, it will. My hands want to go certain ways. Sometimes I just have to get them in the groove and then. You know, sit back and and learn, you know, um, you know, finding a mentor, uh, that whole relationship, like finding a person and they have to accept you. And it's a, it's a mutual thing. That's a deeply spiritual thing. Um, you know, keeping an open, a state of mind, that's open, uh, an open, a state of heart that's open, open mind, open heart, open spirit, uh, to see things a different way. I play a game with myself a lot, especially with politics, religion, anything, myself. It's just to take the opposing viewpoint. It's like a prosecutor and a defender in court. Mm -hmm. So just to see, I'm like, you know, especially with theology, you go, okay, I'll say this belief is true. What if I just turn it 180 degrees? Now, what is that? That's why a lot of uh, the spiritual, uh, the most important spiritual uh, 
practices or truths that you can put in practice are really simple. They're just kind of binary. You know, love, hate, light, dark, <laughs> up, down, hot, cold. You know what I mean? If you do this, this is going to happen. If you do that, that's going to happen. You know, you pick it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's your choice. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. And here's what's going to happen if you choose this way. And here's what's going to be choose that way. Now, what if I'm like, so uh, maybe something happened to me that hurt me really bad. It makes me want to choose this other way that's not going to turn out good, even though I know intellectually it's not going to turn out good. And yet I still, the hurt still overrides my intellect. Okay, what do I do then? All right, that's when, that's when this stuff becomes very meaningful and very useful and very important and very practical. You know, not so esoteric and out here, like super just practical to help me keep my mind open and loving and my heart open and loving and my spirit open and loving and my body healthy. You know, um, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm, I'm going all the way around the mountain here, but. No, you did. You did answer a considerable bit. I still. Uh... Uh, what 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 approaches could be taken and what are the possibilities around it yeah because you could go in any i mean you could be dropped anywhere on the planet and find some old person <laughs> that's lived a long time seen it happen every kind of way and they go yeah they can really help you you know that's why i believe america is in such danger like <laughs> because it's a youth worshiping culture yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, I'm all for like, you know, some old people need to go and let's have a fresh start with things you know, in our government. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, it's um, there's there's so much to be learned. There's so much that you learn. The, the older you get, the more you realize, like, wow, I'm glad I lived this long, long enough to realize this and that and see this and that happen. You know, so I'll be able to help my kids. Right. You embody some of the highest aspirations and accolades any musician would uh, or could possibly have. You did all of this without learning how to read music formally, uh, from what I've understood. Right? <laughs> uh, how essentially do you think it is for anyone to read and understand music uh, in a formal sense? Um, well, I did read music when I was younger and then I just ceased to use it because I wasn't in like studio situations or in a classical setting mm -hmm. or somewhere, uh, you know, places that I would have to read notation all the time, like big band. Uh, so I always recommend to my students that they learn to read, mm -hmm. you know, obviously, um, I can speak, you know, people learn to speak before they learn to read. Kavi's learned a lot, you know, without knowing all the names of what a pronoun and an adjective and all that stuff is. And she's doing just great. You know? So you can communicate. And I think a lot of times about uh, like old, old blues musicians, some of whom did not know how to read, but they knew so many lyrics. And they knew many, many lyrics 
different versions of the same song. Like, oh, I heard this verse over here in Memphis, and they have this verse in Augusta, Georgia. And, you know, there's like, they have encyclopedic knowledge of verses, but they didn't actually know how to read and write, you know. But I think it's a very good thing. The danger for me is where someone could read it, like, and not understand conceptually what's happening. So I could transcribe a solo. I know, you know, I can analyze what's happening, but I might not see the bigger concepts that are being used. Like, uh, I'm just now learning these triad pairs and stuff and really diving deeper into diminished harmony, which is just like, it's like a DNA helix. I feel like, you know, uh, <clears throat> so I I want to be able to, to understand, I want to be able to zoom out and see the big picture and see conceptually like a composer would see things and not just where like I'm reading it and playing it. Like I had an interesting experience in a studio one time. <clears throat> I was doing something where I, the, I knew there was going to be some unison licks that were complex. And so I told the guy before he even hired me, I was like, you know, I don't read music, but if you just give me a minute, I can, you know, I'll, I have a system where I used to learn it. And he was like, eh, no problem. So I was on the session with some guys that could really read well. And so we got to this part. And of course, you know, my insecurities, I was just like, hey, I, I'm going to need a minute to get this down. He's like, no problem. So he worked with the other players on the, the line and I took it and I just divided into like big chunks. So I think I had three or four chunks. I just learned this piece yeah. and then I learned that piece and I sewed the first two together and then I learned the third piece and I sew and I play it and I got it. And I ended up actually getting it before the guys that were reading it because when I learned it, I learned the inflection for every line from the get go. They did it the other way. They learned the line and then had to learn the inflection along the way, which took them longer to learn because at some of it, I don't really think can be written out, right? Which I think is different in the Indian system, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's right. Yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and probably for that reason. You know, and I was like, wow, I did it faster than the guys that could read. Mm. But I used a different process because I learned that inflection first from the get go all the way down. And then I had it, you know, when it's time to do it, I had it. So it was an interesting experience. But, you know, there's value in, in both approaches. And, and I think people should just learn both. I just because I've been in a more like. Honestly, you're helping me see this right now for the first time. <laughs> Glad I've lived long enough to realize this. I've been in more of a folk music arena than a classical, which I would include jazz in, yeah. um, because I've been playing more rock and roll. Like even with Colonel Bruce, we were doing bluegrass and delta blues and some funk rock jazz-ish stuff but it was really rooted in the old folk music and that all stuff all that stuff is just 
communicated musician to musician, people sitting around in a circle in the fireplace and that uh, around a fire or whatever, you know, like it's just a community orally transmitted thing. Um, and that's why I haven't really read music, but I like complex music. So I have to learn like, okay, what is this? And I like composing. So I like to understand harmony and how it works. You know, just again, lazy and undisciplined. <laughs> you know? I don't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, the musical education-based app that you'd put out? It's called the Ozone app. Uh, yes. Yeah. Would you want to like, uh, share a, a brief summary about uh, everything about the application and where can they find it and things like that? Absolutely. Actually, um, I need to, um, I should have done this before. Hold on. Uh, cause I want to make sure I have the right, uh, the right URL. Exactly. Okay. okay. It's, uh, I think it's join the ozone VIP. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure and, and Fine. But yeah, we basically, a friend of mine, Jimmy Rector, mm-hmm. uh, who is <clears throat> a drummer and also like a computer and math wizard, he came to me about doing this educational app and we call it the Ozone. If you put my name in O'Teal and the Ozone, it will come up in the app store. Um, and basically I use this, I teach the system that I use uh, to learn how to play bass guitar. Because I did have formal training on drums and played in a classical setting. So it was all reading, rudiments. I played bass, clarinet, piano. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I did that route that was the classical route. But on drums I, is when I shifted over uh, into studying jazz. Right. And, um, and then when I picked up bass guitar, it was just for fun. <laughs> so there was no... I was like, I don't want lessons. I don't want, this is just, I want to play only the music I want to play. And I just want to do it for fun so I can play with my older brother. And so basically what uh, he taught me, I was very lucky because my brother had perfect pitch. They discovered it when he was seven years old. Oh, wow. So He just raced ahead. (laughs) I thought he was normal. Because he's just my older brother, you know. Um, I was four at the time. I guess they discovered he had perfect pitch. So trying to keep up with him gave me really good relative pitch. And he always said, until he died, he was like, I think having good relative pitch is more important than having perfect pitch. Um, But I always thought, well, when you have perfect pitch, you have both. So, but maybe not necessarily. I don't know. Um, I would think you would get it automatically if you had perfect pitch, like it would be included under the umbrella, you know, of perfect pitch. But I got really good relative pitch. And that's, and so I realized if I could do, put three things together that I could learn just about anything, I could slow it down enough or my brain speed up enough to figure it out. And I could also communicate it to others. 
And so that's what my Ozone app is based on, the system of merging these three things. One is the sound of the interval. <clears throat> the second is the shape of like what it's going to look like on the, on the yeah. guitar neck, which <clears throat> on bass is tuned in force, so there's a lot of symmetry. So, you know, a lot of people already know on a bass guitar, one finger, I have the same fingering for a scale for all, you know, a major scale and all 12 keys is all the same fingering. Right. So on a horn, that's not the case. <laughs> you know? Or on piano, that's not the case. Um, so that's a great convenience. So once I learn it, once there's, I have a pattern, I use that same pattern for all the keys. That applies for chords and for scales, extended triads, everything. So I want to merge the sound of the interval. I want to know da is a minor third. I want to know that da da looks like that on two strings and da da looks like that on one string. Right? Mm -hmm. Um and then I need to be able to call what that interval is, the minor third. So you have one, minor second, major second, minor third, major third, you know, four augmented, four <laughs> flat, five, five. You go up to 12, right? If I can associate the sound with each and know what that interval is, how to label it, and the shape, you get to a point where I could see Da 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 and I could see it on the bass neck. I don't even need my bass. If a melody's playing in the car, ah, I could see the melody on the bass neck without having a bass in my hand. Right? Mm -hmm. That's very useful when you're trying to learn unison licks and you can't read music, right? So all these things. Uh, <laughs> that's how I've navigated my way through. And I and it's more of like a folk music approach because now anybody can do it without having to learn to read music but they are going to have to learn uh, this 12 tone uh, harmony this music theory which is just basic math <laughs> you know like just it's not that I'm like if you can count to 12 you can do this <laughs> you know so especially when we're using mostly diatonic, which is a seven-note scale, or pentatonic, which is five, we're not even going to all 12 most of the time. So I tell everybody, like, you could do this. Because uh, to me, like, spiritually, mystically, this is a fun thing that everybody can participate in. Uh, you know, sure. Ornette Coleman had this beautiful quote. He said, I want to eliminate the caste system of music. You know, so, well, not to be a dig against India, but, you know, this hierarchy, he, it's, he's like, everybody should be free. Everybody should be able to participate in this. For sure. You know? And yeah. I think uh, when we all sing along and, yeah. you know, grab a tambourine, grab something to beat on, grab a stick, play along. I love that, you know, and that's how all the folk music here are. And uh, it's a fun thing. Like you go to a bluegrass festival. And most of the people that came to the concert brought instruments with them. And they're all jamming with each other in the parking lot or we're all over the place. There's like all these jam sessions going on. Yeah. And uh, I think that's just great. It's such a community thing in black church when 
you know, everybody sings. Yeah, you got the best singer, and they're going to take the lead. <laughs> you got Aretha Franklin. She's going to get the lead. But everybody's singing. You know, and a lot of those cats, they come up, they're like, oh, I started on drums. And then they found whatever instrument they settled on. You know, it's like, uh, so I, that's what I'm trying to do with the app, like just like bring it in. Lovely. Make a, a pathway for everybody to be able to play. Uh, and then if they get into like higher forms like jazz, you know, you're going to you're going to want to go to school for that. I'm not a jazz player on bass. I could play it on drums yep. much better. But um, that's a whole language as with, you know, classical Indian music like that requires some formal yeah. study. Yeah. And, yeah, speaking of Indian classical music, yeah, it can be a little rigid sometimes, like you said. And there are a lot of uh, uh, modern musicians. Uh, this is a person by the name T.M. Krishna, who's a very reputed uh, uh, Indian Carnatic uh, singer. Ooh, uh, yes, and, please. Yeah. So, so this person uh, has tried a very progressive approach in terms of you did spoke uh, you did speak a little bit about. Uh, uh, caste getting into the getting into the whole idea, right? So he's sort of trying to break down all those stereotypes. And ah. of, yeah, he's a great guy. You should totally check him out. His name is T M Krishna. Yeah. Please uh, text me or email me. The, I'll do uh, that. I'll do that. Yeah, uh, we we could connect yeah. on Instagram. We could definitely connect on Instagram if you use. Yes, yeah. I'll do that. Yeah, sorry, I forget. I didn't have a chance to do the shout out video. That's all but right. I will connect with you on Instagram because. Uh, yeah, I'm always into the the yeah. singers, especially, and I want my. It helps hook my kids yeah. easier to the voice, yeah. you know. So uh, I'm very I'm very interested to hear that. And you know, we're all, I'm always thankful for the, like. There's always people coming along and revolutionizing, right. you know, like take it like Zakir, you know, and right. uh, man, so many great. Indian musicians, Debashish. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> I'd be happy to share a lot of, I also represent a lot, I manage a lot of Indian independent artists. Uh, nice. Yeah. So I would love to share their music across with you. I have a couple of interesting artists in my roster. So I'd be happy Please to share their me music on. along with you. Yeah. Please. I've, that's where I, I always, I can always use more inspiration. Certainly. Now let's move to a slightly interesting segment of our interview. So I'm going to shoot across five questions to you, which is the last segment of our agenda today. Uh, <laughs> sure. You'll have to be you'll have to be very spontaneous with your answers. You can't really think much, right? Okay, no thinking allowed. All right, I get right. I get put on that spot a lot. The first question for you, Atil: uh, What is that one song that always makes you cry? Hmm. Ah. Uh. Man, there's a couple. Um, there's an instrumental tune. I'm not even sure of the name of it, but it's on the, this uh, album by uh, Pat Metheny, Jocko Pastorius, and Bob Moses oh, wow. called Bright Size Life. Yeah. Um, and there's this one tune on there. It's a very, very slow song. Um, there's many, many beautiful songs on that record and I, I should be shot for not knowing it but it's almost like the title i just go to it 
sometimes. And then um, in very, very deep times, there's this one song by Reverend James Cleveland called I Walk With God that when my brother passed away, I just went back to it. Uh, um, and then, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll go with those two for right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of melancholy stuff. I love Joni Mitchell, man. Uh, uh, um, a Case of You. Yeah. I could drink. I could drink a case of you. Yeah, that makes me tear up right now. Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. And she's, I mean, I was into blue mm-hmm. before. I didn't know she played with Jocko. Yeah. And Pat Metheny and <laughs> Herbie and Wayne. I was like, I would, the, there's, you, don't, you probably don't remember this. There's an old place called Circuit City. Okay. Anyway, they had this big, the big thing called a laser disc, where it was like this huge TV. It looked like a movie screen, and wow. the the laser. It was a video, but it looked like an album, like a vinyl LP. And I walked into a Circuit City, and they had this big thing, which was a new technology back then. And there was Joni Mitchell with Jocko Pastorius, Pat Metheny, Michael Brecker, Don Elias, I believe Lyle Mays, and I was like, my brain just fried. I was like. Wait a minute, she plays with like all my heroes, you know? And then I found out about Ajara and Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, and I just lost my mind again because I was already a huge fan. But that album, Blue, just anything off that will just make me cry. Anything off that album, that still gets me. On the contrary, what is, what is your favorite guilty pleasure song? <laughs> 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 um, what is my favorite guilty pleasure song? <laughs> Probably jamming out with some of the crap that my kids... I shouldn't call it crap. See? There we go with being judgmental. Um, <laughs> Probably right now, the Pokemon song. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta catch them all! Because it's like, you know, I do stuff with my kids and I get just... <laughs> like, come on, take the ride with them, man. Get into it, you know? And when I see how he'll like jump down and start dancing and like he busted out a tooth doing some dance moves. So I just like, I would start to learn the lyrics to songs that they really liked that I really didn't like so I could sing it with him. And then I started to like it. Like the Pokemon song, I'm starting to get into it and I think maybe I should record it with him like in the music room. So maybe I'll go with the Pokemon song. I also have a... a the angry Pikachu t-shirt that I got <laughs> that I'm going to wear on stage. So lovely, lovely, lovely. I'm glad you asked me that question. I never would have thought of that. Great. Uh, what, are, what are some of the most uh, fond memories you've had with uh, John Mayer as a person? Like something that uh, uh, comes to the top of your head one of the funny uh, to me it's just a, a, it just tickles me mm-hmm. uh, maybe I could show you oh this is a good one <laughs> I, could, I can actually show you mm-hmm. 
If it doesn't show his phone number, let me make sure. Because he texted me this, and man, <laughs> I got such a good laugh out of this. It was really funny. I think I can't show you. A... Oh, I got to re-download the picture. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you'll be able to see this. But um, anyway, so right before this tour, he texts uh -huh. me. He's like, hey, uh. I ordered a, he goes, how about this one? I ordered a bunch of camping gear for the summer post tour and it came on a pallet. Here's what was written on it. So I guess he's going camping somewhere after the tour and he showed, I don't know if you could see it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, so that's I texted hilarious. him back. I was like, hey, that's what would usually happen to me. Right? Like, I would order some camping gear, and they'd be like, hey, can you tell John Mayer we said hi? I was like, that's weird. <laughs> so, that was funny. But he's just, he's a really, John is one of these, uh, like, yeah. hyper-intelligent yeah. people. And he gets yeah. really into stuff, like his watches. Like, he can explain stuff to you about how this incredibly intricate watch works, and that you've lost me, you know? Yeah. But... It's really beautiful to kind of, it's been so fun to take this kind of, this journey with him because we both came to the Grateful Dead very late. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, one thing that's really cool, um, when um, Long Strange Trip came out, you know, that documentary that's like four parts, it was super long. It came out while we were on the road. and. The director, you know, set up so we could see it, you know, before everyone else saw it. And so we were watching this, me and Jeff Comenti, who's the keyboard player, yeah. who's been around, like, in this world, like, as long as I've been on the scene, you know, with the Allman Brothers, we came around. He started playing with Rat Dog right back, yeah. back then. So me, him, and John are all watching this documentary. Which goes back to the beginning. It's so long, goes through all these eras, and you know, like, well before the end of it, we're texting each other, like, God, can you believe we're part of this thing that's so, it changed all of America, like, and all of the world and ripple effect, you know? Um, and to be able to share that with him, this kind of journey, as people coming to it late, you know, the average deadhead can educate me about the Grateful Dead in innumerable ways. And so every deadhead I meet, I, I listen to them, I talk to them, you know, and I know John is getting that too, you know, it's, and, and sharing that with him and with Kemeni that whole time, like during that movie was, it was pretty magical, man. He's a really sweet guy and a very thoughtful, a, a great person to work for and a great person to work with. Uh, it's been, you know, something no one else could ever explain, like the, um, like what the members of the Grateful Dead share. Like, who could explain it? You had to be there. But us coming from the outside at this point and then being, you know, critical to it, it puts a lot of responsibility on you. You know, you're like, you have a, it's like taking care of someone's child. 
<laughs> right. So I guess this that time in my life to do that, you know. <laughs> do convey my regards to him whenever you get to see him, and and uh, absolutely, I'd also love to have him on my show someday. <laughs> I'll tell him for sure. Yeah, that'd I'll be great. Him. That'd be great. Uh, what was your favorite cartoon while growing up? Did you have a favorite? <laughs> You know, I've been trying to think about that because now I've been going back and showing my son. You know, <laughs> I can find him on YouTube, like Speed Racer. Oh, wow. That um, was a great one. My favorite, too. Yeah, but I think my favorite probably just had to be Bugs Bunny because of Mel Blanc. I often think about what must it have been like for his mother, like to hear like five people in the other room knowing there's only him. You know? <laughs> I bet that started kind of early. And uh, just so much of the adult humor, you know, I look back at it now and, and I don't show Nigel as much of that because it's so violent. I guess you can't really escape that. Just have to accept that. He's got the testosterone now. He's into just... We have no, we don't allow video games with guns. And somehow he's just fascinated with guns. I'm like, it's just testosterone. But yeah, Bugs Bunny. And then I try to show him Speed Racer. <laughs> this is a cartoon called Super Chicken, which I thought. <laughs> and he loves the theme for it. Ah, Super Chicken. Uh, it's so ridiculous. So that was a little fun period trying to think of all the most ridiculous cartoons that I used to watch. And then some are just like, you go back and even like uh, the old, uh, like really old Bugs Bunnies and really old uh, Mickey Mouse. But it's some very racist stuff. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, turn that off. You know, like, whoa. I didn't, but I caught, I got up to it, you know, before it was, uh, after it wasn't, after black and white and all that, you know. Yeah. Black and white television. But yeah, I'll go with Bugs Bunny. <laughs> I have one last question for you. This is, this is more of a custom in all of my interviews. And I ask this question to everyone I talk to. Uh, down in the distant horizon, what would you want to be remembered as? Uh, a great husband and father. That's really it, man. All the rest of the stuff. You know, I've... I've did not expect to have children. And I did not expect to get married again. And, and I had said uh, definitively that I would not. And uh, we see how that worked out. Fortunately, I met my wife, Jess, and uh, she has been such a huge... Uh, reason for me to want to be a better man she really holds me accountable you know if a man can find a woman that they trust enough to let them bust their chops <laughs> you know? then you found something more precious than a trillion dollars you know and i found that with her and she's a an incredible woman and an incredible wife an incredible mother and and working on these little humans with her is the most difficult wondrous 
uh, amazing thing by far that I've ever uh, had the privilege to participate in on this planet. And that's, that's the thing that matters to me the most is that I don't screw these kids up with my crap. And I, or even though I know I'm going to at a certain, to a certain extent, we can't help that, but that I give them visible pathways out of that so that they know how to get to love and compassion and the mystical things that I think that are going to matter at some point when the chips are really down and even things like music won't help. Right. Or it may not be able to, if you can't let music help you. Right. So that's the most important thing to me is, uh, these humans that we brought here, you know, and we're, we're releasing out into the world. (laughs) It matters how, what we do right now. Uh, in the interest of time, uh, I'd, I'd definitely like to uh, thank you for uh, tuning in and making this oh, possible. And thank this so interview much. is also going to be aired on the radio. It's going to be aired on Big FM, Shillong and Aizol in the northeastern nice. parts of India. And this is also going to be part of my audio podcast series, which is all set for launch. It's going to be called The Stalwarts of Music with Aditya Veera. That's what it's going to be called. And uh, I'm happy yeah. to be included in that company. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was, it's probably one of my, uh, one of my longest interviews uh, till date. Interestingly. <laughs> I talk a lot. Sorry about that. No, no. It's in terms of, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the connect, the emotional connect that we had. I think it was great. I had a great time. Oh. I learned a lot of, a lot of new things from you. And I'm sure I'm being a student of music. I'm going to apply a lot of this uh, in my personal uh, musical pursuit as well. Thank you so much. I because I love to talk about this stuff. Yeah, that's why I started my podcast. Shout out to uh, yeah. Comes a Time Podcast. Yeah. Um, because I really want to talk about these spiritual things. You know, right. friends dying all the time. Just recently, heartbreaking. Yeah. You know. Heartbreaking. My father just passed away. Like I, I don't know how I process these things without. I, I'm um, so sorry about that. My heartfelt condolences to your family. Thank I hope you. You're holding I appreciate up well. it. Yeah. He was very old. He was 91. He, yeah. he saw it all, man. He had a good run, and he went peacefully, and quickly, and in no pain. So it was such a blessing that he was able to go in that way, but. Without these, uh, it's so great to be able to talk about mystical stuff with people. I don't want to just talk about the nuts and bolts of music. It's only so interesting <laughs> without the other part. So thank you for that, because I really appreciate that. And I do, I, there's a, my email here says, otil at jointheozone.com. Okay. So it's either VIP, jointheozone.com or jointheozonevip.com yeah. or just jointheozone.com. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll find it. it. Yeah, I'll pin it on my Instagram. I'll just find it and then I'll pin it on my Instagram for all the viewers and the listeners out here. Yeah, and we talk about the philosophical and mystical yeah. stuff in the ozone too. We have yeah. those sections in there. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's necessary. You know, all my heroes have this incredible emotional spiritual content to it and uh 
So that's important, and that can't be. That's not just. It can't be just written on paper. Sure. Yeah. So thank you for thank allowing you. me you my once full again. expression. Yeah. Namaskar. <laughs> thank you once again. Uh, feel free to hit me up anytime you're in India. I'd love to show you other parts of India. Yeah. Uh, what also, part are you in? I live in Bangalore, which is in the southern part of India. So that's not close to Delhi, right? That's no, I think that's where we flew in. Yeah, but we're going to try to go the different part. I know it's a very big country. Yeah. But uh, I need to go to the southern part because I was all in the yeah. in the northern part. Northern part. Yeah. Yeah. But we were only there for two weeks. But I will. I will. Yeah. I'll try to find you. And yeah, thank yeah, you. For sure. For sure. Thank you. Thank you so much once again. We can uh, stay connected. You can find me on my Instagram, which goes by at the rate adix70. You can find me there and uh, do stay in touch. It was lovely talking to you. Absolutely. You too. Bless you. All right then. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.